Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. Will may I be like you? Let's sing that again. service uh, in a word of prayer. I'm going to, uh, if Brother Matt could continue to play that just softly. Got a few prayer requests. Uh, we want to uh, continue to remember uh, Brother Barry, Sister Becky in prayer as they're recovering. Uh, of course, want to continue to remember a lot of the folks that we've been talking about, the Smiths, uh, drums, Parks may still be away, coming back, uh, so we want to remember them. Uh, I want to especially remember Brother Keith. Uh, he went for, as everybody knows, went for uh, testing this morning, and uh, after going through the, uh, the tests, he had to resign his job. And so we just want to keep him in prayer. Uh, Lord, 
uh, Lord, bless him. Right? Just special remember for him and uh, pray for Brother Keith's faith. Amen. Uh, as well, why don't we continue to remember Brother Troy uh, Hughes, as Brother Barry mentioned uh, in his update. So we want to continue to remember him. If you have any unspoken prayer requests, Brother Sam. pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're, such, we're so thankful, Lord, just for this opportunity to be here, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, just for answering these requests, Lord, before I ever, Lord, ask them, Lord. Lord, I ask you, Father, that you would come, Lord, and be, Lord, that great healer, Lord, that you are, Lord. Lord, and all these people, Lord, that are sick, Lord, our pastor, his wife, Lord, that you would just touch them, Lord. Lord, the ones that are not here. And Lord, a special request, Lord, for Brother Keith. Lord, uh, the things that he goes through, Father, Lord, I ask you, Lord, that you would, Lord, just strengthen his body, Lord, his faith, Lord, his family. Lord, a lot of changes, Lord, but Lord, we know, Lord, that, that you're in control. And Lord, I ask you, Lord, that you would just, Lord, just be with him, Lord, comfort him, Lord. And Lord, now, Lord, as, Lord, for the service, Lord, anoint our ears, Lord, just to hear your word, Father. Anoint the minister, Lord, as he brings forth, Lord. Lord, the meat, Lord, the way we came for, Father. Lord, I ask you, Lord, that you would just be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn and shake hands with those that are around you. Feel free to move across the aisle if you need to. It's okay. Uh, and then you may have your seats. Amen. Um, I was going to sing a song that's an old song. I, I don't know if we sing it here or not. Just a little talk with Jesus. Do we? Uh, do we have that? Amen. There we go. Well, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. Amen. And then a little light from heaven filled my soul. Real it bathed my heart in love. My name above, and just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. Well, let us have a little talk with Jesus, tell him all about our trouble, hear our fears cry, answer by and by. Feel a little prayer, he'll turn know a little fire is burning. Have a little talk with Jesus, makes it right. Is that the right key? Is it a little higher? Is it? No? No, let's, let's stay there. We'll stay there. Sometimes my fair death deems drear without a ray of cheer. And then a cloud of doubt may hide the light of day. Amidst a empty rise and hide the starry skies. But just a little talk with Jesus clears the way. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our trouble. Hear our faintest cry. Answer by and by. Feel a little prayer will turn Know a little fire is burning. Have a little talk with Jesus makes it right. I may have doubts and fears, my eyes be filled 
to come at this time, take up uh, the offering, and uh, we're going to invite our brother John uh, Cockman to come and get ready uh, to speak for us tonight. Brother Chris, if you could ask the blessing on the offering. Um, just before we uh, turn over Brother John, uh, don't forget this Saturday is uh, our end of year dinner. And don't forget December 24th, Christmas Eve, we will be having, that is a affirmative, we will be having service on that Sunday. Um, let's sing uh, We Need You, Lord. We Need You, Lord, before uh, Brother John comes. Need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. Lift our
while you're standing there, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for all the songs that we've heard. I pray that it's enabled us to get into your spirit uh, and that you'll be in our midst this evening as we approach your throne, Lord Jesus. I want to pray one more time for Brother Keith, Lord God. Saints, if we could just bend our hearts together. Brother Keith needs a touch. We'd love for him to be here. And uh, I pray that you'll just, you'll just give him a touch where he sits, Lord. Be with our brother that, uh, that needs a healing touch from you right now. Be with our pastor and his wife. Lord God, thank you for a, a beautiful day, a beautiful evening to come and worship you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, musicians. <clears throat> I did get a note from Brother Barry as I um, was preparing here. He said um, that they were planning to come tonight, but as soon as he gets outside, the coughing starts again. And um, as many of you know, he had a case of double pneumonia, and he had to go to the ER actually yesterday because of um, some pulled muscles from the hard coughing. So we definitely don't want him to, to be out in the cold or, or driving around, so we're praying he'll get some rest. Um, so he and Sister Becky decided to stay home tonight, and they're looking forward to being with everyone on Saturday night. And as I am as well at 6 o'clock uh, p.m. here in the fellowship hall for our Christmas dinner. I know my voice sounds a little rough, too. I've got a little bit of a sinus infection. I'm not contagious or sick. <laughs> But my voice sounds a little rough. I apologize for that. Um, I guess when you're a base already and this happens, then you become really basic. <laughs> so, um, but the good news from Brother and Sister Coffee is that Brother Fulcher did really well today. His new pacemaker is up and running perfectly. Many of you know he, he just had a pacemaker installed. So thank you for your prayers and they certainly miss being here with us this evening. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to take a topic this evening called the third pull. And um, uh, I know it's been spoken of much, but I'm going to take a little bit of a different tack with it this, this afternoon. And so um, I don't want to get uh, too deep, yet too shallow. And so hopefully we'll try to keep it interesting. And... Sometimes what uh, we fail to miss as we move through this is that the events of Brother Branham's understanding of the third full pull happened throughout time. And so from a certain date when he received this vision until the very end of his ministry, he grappled with this idea of the third pull. Now, when... Uh, <clears throat> In 1963, when the seals came off the book, so to speak, um, most of us now at this time recognize that that was the third pull being put into action. But Brother Branham didn't know that. And he continued to grapple with the idea of the third pull. And so the brothers, the ministers, pastors who were part of his ministry, who sat under his teaching, even up to his death, 
still had no idea really what the third pool was. It was still a mystery to many of the congregation and the men that, that preached under him. And in the years after his death, the, there were so many ideas that came out. And the message was pulled this way and that, and divisions happened and broke. And part of that was because they did not have the perspective sometimes that we have looking back on the man's ministry. When we can see it from beginning to end, it's almost a godlike perspective. Because when this universe, uh, when God looks at it, he can see the beginning and he can see the end. But yet you and I are just sort of traveling through it. And so I want to present my quotes this evening in almost a chronological order so that you can get a feeling for the sequence of events that took place as we center our topic around this idea of the third pull. Does that sound like something you'd like to do? (laughs) All right, very good. So um, let's just start sort of at the beginning. And let's see here. Nineteen fifty-six, and I want to spend a little bit of time with this one. In January first, nineteen fifty-six, Brother Brandon preached a message: "Why are the people so tossed about?" And I will give you a little bit of a historical background of the events that sort of led up to nineteen fifty-six. Um, there had been a great healing revival in America, and the originator. And the main uh, uh, front man of that revival was Brother William Branham. And, um, and uh, at the time that he had his first revival in 1946, that was the first healing revival. And historians would tell you that kicked off the healing revival that swept America and even uh, started the, um, uh, the charismatic movement that's in America today. And for a large part, it was extremely successful. And so I know that sometimes when we preach about Brother Brandon, we sort of focus on um, his uh, condemnation of America not receiving his message. But his first commission, which was to take this idea of divine healing, that the days of miracles was not past, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, His first commission was wildly successful because today, guess what? Even Baptists believe in divine healing. You wouldn't have found that in 1930. You wouldn't have found a Presbyterian that said, will you pray for me? I'm sick. That that would have seemed foolish to them. But because of Brother Branham's, the Brother Branham-led revival series in the 1940s and 50s, His first commission was very, very successful. Now, there was a second commission, and we're going to talk about that uh, here in a little bit. But when Brother Branham came on the scene, there were no healing revivals. He kicked it off. And he was the leader of the revival until it ended. When did it end? 1956. The revival started to die. What happened? The reason the revival started to die... Um, What you'll find is is that in 1956, there were around 50 major 
campaigns, healing campaigns, and they're all having um, major revivals in 1956. And the field was so flooded that it taxed the Pentecostal denominations to the point where none of them were making any money. <laughs> and that's, that's a part of it, right? You have to make money. Brother Branham was losing money. Why were there so many out there? Because he tried to explain it to them. He, and he taught ministers that worked with him. Ministers left his ministry, started their own ministries, and branched off here and there and there until there were tents going up, popping up all over the country, men having healing revivals. And guess what? A lot of them were fake. They were fake healing revivals. They were charlatans, and they were, they were trying to to um, squeeze as much money they could out of the Pentecostal denominations by putting on a show that mimicked Brother Branham's authentic healing ministry. And people got jaded. In 1956, the revival started to die. And Brother Branham began to sense that. He had never asked for money. In fact, he had fired several managers because they were, they were trying to get him to ask for money and to push for money and to make, do money campaigns and to accept um, lit gifts from donors that had strings attached. But he got to this point in his ministry. He, was 15, he lost $15,000 in, in a certain set of meetings. That's a lot in 1956. It's a lot today. And he was so downhearted that he decided to come off of the road. So he went back home. He actually applied for a job. I think he may have gotten his old job back. And um, he told his son, he told his wife, he said, I guess this is it for me. This, I've reached really the pinnacle of my ministry. It's a downhill. Uh, I'll just go back to the tabernacle and be an associate minister. And that was his plan. And, but he was so down about this. His family said, you're making the wrong choice. Um, that he became very depressed. And then he had this vision that he's going to talk about right here in 1956, January the 1st. Why are the people so tossed about? And this, is, this vision he had... Many of you know it. I'm just going to sort of recap it for you. He told it twice uh, within a couple of services here, um, an abridged version and then a longer version. And in this vision, there were some, several other visions that were attached to it, but it came to a point he was by a large blue stream of water. And a voice invited him to fish. And the voice instructed him how to fish. And uh, we also find out that there were others there. And Brother Branham took it upon himself to instruct them how to fish. He was going to pass that instruction on to them. And we see how this is mirroring the history of how we got to this point. And the voice told him, when you throw your line way out there in the water, give it a little bit of a pull. Right, that'll attract some small fish. Pull it again. They'll go after it. The movement of those 
small fish will attract a larger fish, and then you set your hook, and you've got it. The voice told him exactly how to do it. And what happened next was something that haunted Brother Branham for the rest of his life. And he considered it to be one of his greatest failures. And, and I think he realized this failure even before it was given to him in the vision. But he gave a little pull and got some applause. And people said, that, that was really good. And so on the second pull, he really pulled hard. And it pulled the line right out of the water. It snagged a, a tiny fish on the way out, brought it up onto the bank and, and lay there flopping. The line was getting all tangled up. And he said, what have I done? And the voice said, not what I told you to do. He said, he apologized for it. He said, I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> later when he talks about it, it's such a gut-wrenching thing. He said, I, I screamed out, I'm sorry. I fell on my knees, I'm sorry. He felt so terrible about this. He thought it was the end of his ministry. That he was now washed up. That second pull went so poorly. And the voice told him, this is not the time to have a tangled up line. And instead of a third pull, he was thinking, maybe he'll give me another chance. But he didn't. He didn't get another chance to throw that line out. The vision changed. And in this vision, suddenly he was in a large tent, or maybe cathedral. And there were so many people there. And he had just finished the altar call in this vision of the tent. And uh, the people were weeping, and they were accepting Christ as their Savior. And he felt this wave of relief pass over him, and he said, this is more like it. And as he looked down on the stage, to the right of himself on stage, there was a, a canvas drawn. And then on the other side of the canvas was a small wooden building, about a 12 by 20. And someone came out and announced, while Brother Branham is resting, he says, Let's, we're going to start a prayer line. And people were coming up, and they were led down, and they passed through that building, and they were coming out healed on the other side. And Brother Branham didn't understand what was going on. The angel of the Lord had brought him there. And then different from the angel of the Lord is that pillar of fire that accompanied him in all the meetings. And that pillar of fire left him. And it went down and it stood over that small building. And I don't want you to miss this because you have a part to play in this. It stood over that small building and then it settled into it. And he said, what is this? And the voice said, this is the third pool. I will meet you there. And then the vision ended. So he never got to cast that line again. The healing revival never, never took off. From this point in 1956 until 1963, his ministry continued to develop, but he wasn't satisfied. And he felt like he was floundering. When, um, if I could go back, he said, I said, why? 
And I guess the question might be, why this? Why not another chance in the river? And he said, well, it won't be a public show like the other. And don't mistake, this is a rebuke. Brother Branham took it as a rebuke. This won't be a public show like the other. And I came too. And so from that point, he realized that all that he had tried to do to help other ministers along, to show them, to teach them how to have a healing ministry, when he didn't even know how he did it himself, is a gift of God. Now that enabled them to then proliferate and and for charlatans to rise up, impersonators, and eventually that's what killed the healing revival, according to historians, was just this proliferation of a false healing gift by ministers that we could name. Now, what I want to do, here's where we're going to kind of step into the historical part of it. We're going to start at 1956, where he received this vision of the three pools, and also this vision of the tent. So the three pools, the tent, that's the same vision. Sometimes we kind of think about them as different visions. They're the same vision. And... Um, <clears throat> And we're just going to follow what he's doing here. From the very beginning, right there, in, in, uh, starting in July, a sermon called Love, he's already thinking about that tent. He can't get it off of his mind. In fact, he becomes fixated on the tent. And because of this, we find that after Brother Branham's death, you've got a lot of his followers who are still fixated on the tent. And so... Um, <clears throat> So he's thinking about that tent. What's he thinking about? The third pool. When he's in, because, you know, it was, it was rebuke. Yet there it was. There was a tent. He had preached a great service. People were coming. People were getting healed uh, in ways that he had never dreamed of them being able to be healed. And he says, there's a reason that on these meetings, he, he was, he's talking here, he had just had a vision that was really hard on him uh, Physically. He said, I'm trying to maybe take a few nights off, preach then a few nights, and have a healing service, and then back. I'm trying to make myself adjusted to meetings where we're going to get a big tent. So from this point on, he starts talking about the big tent. It's on his mind. He's seen it in the vision. No vision had gone unfulfilled up to this point. And now he's waiting and anticipating from 1956, the big tent and stay for three or four weeks at a time and a place. So somehow the feeling that he got in this vision, that tent had a sense of permanency to it. He said, this is not the kind of tent that you put up and down on a weekend. This, this tent is here. Uh, this tent has a foundation. This tent um, uh, is going to be up for a month. <laughs> and we're going to have services. And at this point in his ministry, he began to have a heart for teaching. The revival services were drying up. He was no longer getting those calls from the Pentecostal denominations to come teach. And it wasn't just over doctrinal differences. It was because the money had dried up and the revival was dying. And the deeper underlying cause of that is that God was moving Brother Branham into a new stage of his ministry. And Brother Branham knew that, but he didn't know what that was going to look like. And he was trying to imagine it, trying to anticipate it. He was just a man. He didn't know this part of his future. Why? 
possibly because of that rebuke. It's not going to be a public show like the others. And in another place he said, no man is going to know about it. That included Brother Branham. And so um, he said, I pray that God will help me to do that, to get that big tent. And he wants to set it up for weeks and have teaching services and have people come in and be able to teach them and have master classes for weeks and then also maybe healings at night and teaching during the day. And he's excited about the idea of this big permanent tent. Now, starting in 1956, I just want to give you a smattering of quotes of where he continues to have the tent on the brain. 1957, hear ye him. The Lord willing, I wish to have a great big tent one of these days for the American people to set up in a little pasture for a few weeks, six or eight weeks at a time. 1958, and a greater than Solomon is here. You know, I'd like to bring a big tent and pitch it here for a little while, right among you people, and just stay so we can have an afternoon teaching service among ministers and things and let the churches be set up, you know. What I believe the Holy Ghost would help us to do it. So it's on his mind. He's still thinking about this tent. And he's still thinking about long periods of where he can teach and, and people would be able to just learn from, uh, from what he has to deliver. 1959. You know, I think that our meetings here are surely too short. When the people are gathered together, would it not be nice now if we, didn't, if we had about three or four weeks of this where we could have afternoon instruction services and preach on the second coming and lay the scriptures out and talk of them and then have a ministerial meeting every morning at 10 o'clock where ministers get together in fellowship. Oh, if God willing, I could just feel it in the wind. I'm going to have me a big tent one of these days so we can pitch it somewhere and stay four to six weeks at a staying. How is he so confident? Because he's seen it in the vision. And the vision always comes to pass. Amen? He'd seen it in the vision and his confidence level was high and his anticipation was high. In 1960, what it takes to overcome belief. There's a reason my meetings has never had ample time where I can explain it and get in among the people and tell them about it. <clears throat> he wants to explain it to you. He wants you to have all the time you have. He wants to have weeks and weeks worth of instruction compiled where you can be there and access and he can talk to you about it. That's his anticipation. Some of these days, Lord willing, I'm going to get a big tent and move out somewhere where I can stay three or four weeks at a time or five. And uh, 62, present stage of my ministry. What I'm going to do here, he, um, he's still looking for that tent. But he hasn't mentioned the three pools that much since describing it in his initial um, telling of the vision in 1956. But people know about it. They've talked about it. They understand that he's uh, anticipating a change in his ministry. They're looking for signs of changes in his ministry. And um, uh, at one point, they, um, many of you know the story of how uh, squirrels were created in a place where there were no squirrels. And uh, this was a, a huge turning point in Brother Branham's ministry. And, uh, and people at the time, the rumor was the third pool is going to be creative power. It's going to be creating squirrels into existence. Um, uh, perhaps, and Brother Branham even, even mentioned this one time as well, limbs 
regrowing onto arms. There's some, there's, there's some creative power, perhaps, that's going to come out of the third pool. Uh, if you would have been in those meetings at that time, the, um, <clears throat> everything that happened, you might say, is this the third pool? Because you knew about it, even if he wasn't talking about it. And he said, here in 1962, we're, we're kind of moving slowly in to the beginning part of 1963, where the ministry exploded. Here we are, September 62. As far as I know, every vision, see if you can note the frustration in his voice here, that he's ever given me has been fulfilled except the one that I'm a change in my ministry. And this sermon is called The Present Stage of My Ministry. He's preached other, other sermons about, this, about where his ministry is right now. He, he's ready for it to go somewhere else. He's not satisfied with where it is here in September of 1962. He says to where I'm to pray for people in a little place, like a little room under a tent or a big auditorium or something. It looked to me like a tent. You remember two or three years ago, 1956. And he told me my ministry of the first pool. Remember about catching the little bitty fish or missing it? Uh, second one was a small fish, but he told me on the third pool, don't fail, see, and don't tell people. I think at this point, he kind of wished he was able to tell people. He's still not sure what's going on with the third pool. Don't tell people. I'm always trying to explain what I'm trying to do. He let me know, do not tell people what you're doing, just what he tells me to do and let it alone, see? And he's waiting for that change in his ministry. He's, he so desires a third pool. In 1961, 1962, among his congregation there in Jeff, um, a series of dreams and visions began to point to the idea that he was headed out west. They would have visions of him riding a horse, um, heading west, this and that. I'm not going to go through all the different dreams and visions. Um, Junior Jackson had, a, had one that most people know about. Um, and one there is a wall that was preventing him from going west and that came down. And he interpreted that to be uh, the issue with, uh, that he had with the IRS. There was a, um, a tax case that dragged out from 1956 to 1962. And he said, and this finally, a miracle of God allowed us to kind of finally get past that and it opened up the the uh whatever barrier that was the wall that was seen in a dream by one of his congregation that was preventing him from making this move west so god had put up a wall provided by the irs (laughs) until this time just waiting for the fullness of time to come when god was ready to take brother branham's ministry to the next level and at that time, he had a dream, I'm sorry, another vision in 1962. Now, this is another critical vision, and this is a sister vision to the three pools. And so um, I know there's a lot of younger people here tonight, and sometimes we kind of lose track of all these different visions and everything, but this is a very critical vision. This is a vision of a tree with birds in it. And so this, is, this takes place in December of 1962. And he has a move to Tucson coming up. He's going to be moving out west in January. 
Remember, this is all happening in real time. We don't know what the future is right now. We don't know about the seals. And so um, he sees this tree, maybe like, kind of like a Christmas tree. And at the top, um, there's some small birds, and there's some birds here, and there's some, some more here, something more down here. So kind of in three tiers. And as he's looking at that, these tiny frazzle birds kind of take off. Uh, he said they were tiny, maybe just an inch long, like really tiny birds take off, and they're ragged. They call them little veterans. And they form a shape, kind of like a pyramid, and they started heading east. And right after they take off, these larger doves, the next tier, takes off. And they are stronger, prettier doves, sharp wings. The other is, I don't know what kind of birds they were. But these are bigger, like doves. And they take off, also flying east, more swift than the first bunch. And then something else happens. Not birds this time, but angels come from the west, heading the same direction as the birds, roughly about. They come up to him so fast, and they lift him up in the air, and he hears a great explosion, and the vision ends. And he thinks the explosion is his death. And now he's worried about it because he thinks that God has showed him how he's going to die. He takes a trip. He takes up his, packs up his family. They move to Tucson. And in Sabino Canyon, he was praying to God and he was worried about this vision that he'd seen of the birds, the two groups of birds and then the angels. And he asked, Lord, is this the way it's going to end? And he was praying in Sabino Canyon with his hand up. And in this vision or trance, a sword fell into his hand. And, um, and I know many of you probably know uh, this, these events better than I do. But I'm just kind of tracking quickly through time here. A sword fell into his hand. And a beautiful pearl-handled sword, sharper than a razor. And a voice said, it's the sword of the king. I wonder if I included a quote on that. I think I'll get to it. Let me just hold off. So when he saw those birds, he identified those then in the vision as being associated with the vision of the three pools. And so he tells the people in the, uh, in the last service of 1962, First pull, little bitty birds, then flights. The second time, the secrets of the heart. By this time, he's, he knows what those three pulls are, or at least the first two. The first pull, when that, when that lure came through the little fish, and he, he did it just right, and everyone congratulated him. That was discernment of disease. When he would take people by the hand, and he would... He would understand their sickness, and, he could, and he, could, uh, he could call that out, and he could strengthen their faith. That was the, that was the beginning of his healing campaign, the first pull. Second pull, the secrets of the heart. That's when not only would he take you by the hand and tell you what disease you had and bolster your faith for healing, 
But it was like he could see what was in your heart. He could tell you sins that you'd committed. He could tell you how you're, what you're thinking or feeling days before. That's the one he yanked out of the water. That's the one that revivalists and charlatans across the country began to mimic in a false way. And I'm sure you've seen that by TV preachers from here on out that we know, all know how that works. They're taking something that's true, a true gift, falsifying it, and it killed the healing revival. Notice, the little flight firsthand, the second was greater, wider, doves, Holy Spirit revealing the secrets of the heart, and the third flight was angels, not birds. Angels. And that's the end of time. That's all of it. That was the end of the vision. He didn't know what came on after that. He thought maybe he'll, he died. Maybe that's the return of Christ. He doesn't know. But he does know it's the third pool that he's been anticipating for all these years. Amen? Is this the end of time? He said, the first pull, what happened? I tried to explain it. He said, don't do that. The second pull, he said, don't try. I pulled anyhow. You remember? All of you remember. It's on tape and everything. And then he said, now there's a third pull coming. But don't try to explain it. You see how I approach this tonight? I don't know. But I feel duty bound to my church to say something. You draw your own conclusions. What a buildup to 1963. Amen? Can you imagine being in this congregation when all this is taking place? Just the excitement of it. When he went out in January and was hiking in Sabina Canyon and that sword came into his hand, the sword of the king, not the sword of a king, the sword of the king. He took this to be a vindication of the ministry that was about to follow. What is the sword? It's the word. Amen? Amen. What a day we're living in. What a great thing. See the mystery and secret. The third, standing there. When this left me, something just came to me and said, don't fear. Now, I didn't hear no voice like on the inside of me spoke. I just have to tell you the truth, just exactly what happened. Something hit and said, don't fear. This is the third pull. That was, that could have been the end of it. What was it? The sword of the king came into his hand. What was the sword? The word. That was the third pull. But it didn't come the way Brother Branham was expecting it. How was he expecting it? A big tent. Amen? A big tent. He wasn't expecting the third pull to be the word coming forth. The mysteries of God revealed. It was almost too simple. Amen? 1963. He was telling this in the seventh seal after the events that we're about to look at. I'm going to go through a couple of events that happened that changed Brother Branham's ministry. Nineteen sixty-three, February twenty-eight, two mysterious clouds appear over Flagstaff. This is a photo from Science Magazine. 
these clouds, the, uh, the larger one there, it's photographed, appeared in Life magazine in May of that year. And when Brother Branham saw it, he identified it as that angelic visitation. Kind of off, to, off on the side, does anybody remember the story of the, the cloud that came to Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament? Another, a mystery cloud. A cloud that was mysterious because of, of its height and its size. Except the other direction. It was just came right off the ocean and it was the size of a man's hand. Too small for a cloud to form. Amen. And, um, and so something in, in nature like this, in order for it to go into the realm of the supernatural... Amen. It's t- entirely appropriate to associate that with an with angelic visitation. Amen. And so, as the people in um, northern Arizona were watching these events take place, it was in the evening. These clouds had come from the west. They were going east, just like those flocks of birds that Brother Branham saw in his vision. Remember that first flock of birds, small, ragged little veterans, took off. They were headed east. The second flock, larger, wider. Amen? Um, Like doves, took off, moving even swifter. Coming from the west, by the time these flew over Arizona, the larger one had overtaken the smaller one. And the sun was setting, and it caught on those particles. Too high up for clouds to even form. And it amazed people. And these two clouds were a sign. A vindication of the vision of the birds. Amen? And so as these began to move past... Uh, they were photographed, they were measured, etc. And so, we're just waiting for one thing now. Those of us who are looking from this side with the luxury of having hindsight, amen? An angelic visitation is surely going to be next. On March 8th, Brother Branham was at Sunset Peak in southern Arizona. And the angels caught him up in their constellation. This is the third part of that vision that, uh, that he had in Jeffersonville before moving to Tucson. This is the third pool. This is when he gets his new commission. They commissioned him, instructed him, go back to Jeffersonville, preach on the seals. So now his commission has shifted. The message, as he speaks of it from now on, is no longer what it was when he received it there in the river, that first commission. You're going to take the message of divine healing to the nations. You're going to preach for kings and dignitaries. You're going to tell people that 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the days of miracles have not ended. That commission was fulfilled. That commission was successful. The latter rain movement sprang from that. The charismatic movement sprang from it today. There are 300 million people now in that movement believing that the days of miracles have not passed. But he had another commission coming. This was a deeper, and I'm going to say a more important commission. This was the third pull. When he was caught up in this constellation of angels on March the 8th at Sunset Peak, he thought he was going to die. But they commissioned him. He came back down almost immediately. Services were arranged. A week of teaching on the seals. Nine sermons. Twice on Sunday. Eight days. Amen? Amen. Can you imagine the anticipation of the audience? I, I sort of can because Brother Brumley was there. And uh, David's in the congregation here. Anybody else remember Brother Charles Brumley across the road? The crosses, of course. And um, oh, he loved to tell the stories of his um, visits to Jeffersonville in 1963, along with his cousin, Nardy Malden. And when we knew Nardy, he was an old fella. And um, we would, when they asked him to pray, he sounded like a bellows cranking up. <laughs> I'll never forget. Uh, <clears throat> brother Brumley had asked another brother to pray, and he stood up and was kind of quietly praying. And Brother Minardi, I saw him out of the corner of my eye, stand up. <laughs> Heavenly Father, <laughs> Almighty God. And, and the brother just kind of sat back down, and he got to go. And once he got, starts going, he can't stop him. <clears throat> but in 1963, he was a young man. And he and Brother Brumley had worked their way up to the front of the line to get in here to, to hear the seals preached in Jeffersonville. The doors were closed until about uh, not too long before the service started, and, um, and people were jostling and jockeying for position. They'd known what had just happened in, uh, out there in uh, Arizona. Word had gotten around. And since this was something huge, this is something special, this is uh, perhaps the third pool. And, um, and so they had somehow made it the way to, uh, their way to the, to the doors, and uh, I guess being strong young men, they were up there. The doors opened, but they opened outward. And Brother Brumley said he shot through. He said he could have just lifted his feet, and they would have carried him down to the front row. The press behind was so much. And he got there. He got a seat. And he looked around, and he didn't see Brother Nardi. And so um, in order to save that seat for Brother Nardi, he had to lay across the seat with his arms around it. Can you imagine that happening here at <laughs> HBT? <laughs> He had to lay across the seat with his arms around it in order to keep people from taking that seat. And after the congregation was full, Brother Nardi came down and he said, when the doors open, I, I somehow got my arm trapped behind the door <laughs> and, the, and I couldn't get it back out from behind the door until everybody had passed. <laughs> Just the anticipation for what was going to happen at this opening of the seals. Brother Branham teaching on the seals. It's hard for us to comprehend it. 
Looking back, Brother Branham realized that this was the peak of his ministry. Not 1956 when, the, when he was preaching to 30,000 people in t- big, intense, great healing campaigns in Africa. This moment in a small church in Indiana was the peak of his ministry. And it was the explosion of his second commission. Amen? And the seventh seal, he screamed out, third pull. He could feel it coming. Amen? He wanted it. You remember it. He said, you've had so many impersonators on this, what you tried to explain. But said, don't even try this. You remember it. How many remembers that vision? Why, it's all over. It's taped. It's everywhere. That's been about six years ago, seven years ago. Seven. He said, don't try to explain that. This is the third pull, but I'll meet you there. That right? He was, he was right there tasting the third pull. Evening service, the ninth service. That's what the E means up there, 63 Dash 0324, March 24th, E, evening service, the seventh seal. How exciting that must have been to have been there. Now fast forward a little bit to July. He's preaching the indictment. May there come forth a revival of of the just and a great power come from among the church. Just before it's going, it's not hard to pray that because you promised it. And we're looking, Lord, for that third pull that we know will do great things for us in our midst. What's happened? He was expecting a tent, a big tent. He was looking for a little room, a little wooden building, maybe a 12 by 20, where people would come out of that building with healings that you couldn't even describe. He's still looking for the third pool. Still the next week in 63. Now I'm looking for something to happen and start that third pool in the mark. See, and maybe next Sunday morning, the healing service, maybe it produced that. He's starting to feel anxious again. He wants the third pool. Amen. I don't know. And that takes us, all of us together. If we want to see the third pool really do something for God, it's coordination with every one of us together to humble ourselves before God, to confess our wrongs, to pray and believe God for these things. He's imploring the people, help me out. Get on your knees before God. We need the third pool. It could happen next Sunday in the healing service. It could happen. He preached a sermon called Souls That Are in Prison Now in 1963. That's, that is November the 10th, the morning service. He talks about the third pool all through this sermon. And now he's fearful because he's been examining the ministry of Jesus Christ and he's realizing that Jesus Christ's ministry was also in three pools. That mirrored his own. And he realizes that he's on the same track in his ministry that Jesus Christ was in on his earthly ministry as well. 
The first pool, the turning the water into wine. The second pool, uh, people begin to draw back. The third pool, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And they all left him. The 70 left. Brother Branham is seeing this. He's, it's like watching a film of his own ministry when he reads through the book of, of Matthew. And he realizes that Jesus' third pull happens in prison. Not in an earthly prison, but in the prison of hell. When Christ goes down and preaches to the souls that are damned and brings them out. And now Brother Branham's worried, if this is my third pull, that means maybe I am going to die. He says, there'll be a ministry that'll show great wonders. Joel said so. But there will be no time for redemption. It's all over. The Lamb has done took his book. His redeemed is over. As Jesus first preached and was rejected and then went and haunted those that were in there and preached to them that were in prison, could not repent. No time for salvation. That same ministry will have to repeat again. What if that could be the third pull? To the eternal lost. What if it's there? I hope it's not. What if it is? Think of it just a minute now. What if it is? God forbid, I've got children. Amen? See, but it sure looks pretty close here. He's worried that God's going to take him off the scene and his third pool won't even be in this lifetime. Right afterwards, evening service, he that is in you. And Lord, we don't know. What this third pull, as we have referred to it, will be, I don't know what. Can you see the state that he's in? All this time, all through 1963, he has been preaching sermons that were the deepest teaching sermons that he'd ever preached. In his mind, he wanted a big tent to be out there for three, four weeks and to teach to people. But yet, as this year goes on, he's laying the groundwork of the sermons that are going to equip the bride for what they need in the coming years. Amen? Amen. But he doesn't see that. He's still looking for the third pool. As far as I know for that, the first was identified, the second's been identified. Now, about this time, he thinks he's identified the third pole at last. His wife is healed of a tumor. Just an amazing healing. The doctors told her, Mita, we don't know what happened to it. It was one of the greatest healings of his ministry. He identified it as the third pole. He said, we know what it is. The third pole is properly identified, see? We know it. The third pool is here. It's so sacred. I mustn't say much about it. As he told me in the beginning, he said, don't say nothing of it. He says, this thing will, will be a, a thing that will start the rapturing faith for the going away. See, see, and I must lay quiet for a little while. Because of this, some people still teach that there's going to be a little room. And in the rapture, Brother Branham's going to present their new bodies to them. Amen? I'm telling you, this went everywhere because there was, there was no resolution on the third pool. 
1964. Let's move back to talking about that tent for just a minute. He said, some of these days I'm going to get me a big tent and come to a city. Just stay for about months at a time, see and teach, though. He feels really confident about this. In 64, a couple weeks later, some of these days I'm going to bring a big tent into this country and pitch it up here so that we can have afternoon services and instructions and you can understand these things better. Meanwhile, all through 64, he's preaching the greatest sermons of his, of his entire ministry. Amen? Amen? 1965, July 11th, a sermon ashamed. He says, and see if you can feel the frustration in his voice. In 1965, many of you know we're getting down to the end of his ministry. He doesn't go far into 1966 before his death. And in his sermons... He keeps speaking. I may not have much time longer. There may not be much time left. This may be my last sermon. He see, there's a sense of urgency that you can feel in late 1965 that you never felt before in his, in his ministry. He says, I want to find out through the elders. I feel led. I've never had such a hunger in my heart for God in all my life that I have now, see. And I want to get my own tent and my stuff like the Lord gave me a vision to and I believe the time is just at hand. I want to see while I'm here why we can't get that tent. And somehow or another, Lord, it may be that you driving us to that tent to make that vision fulfilled. He is wanting that fulfillment. He desires it. comes down to this sermon, 1965, July 18th in the morning. Brother Branham is going to preach a sermon called Trying to Do God a Service Without Being the Will of God. He preaches the same sermon about four months later. And in that sermon, at the preamble, he's talking about this tent. I'm going to get the trustees together. I'm kind of getting put out of all this turning me down on place to hold a meeting when I'm feeling led to do it. So I think I'm just going to ask if we can just, why can't we just get our tent up, put it up, and just stay there, you know, get out here in the ballpark or out on a farm, move it from place to place just as the Lord will lead. And I feel that that's what he's going to do. You know, there's a vision concerning that. There's a vision concerning that. I don't know why it hasn't come to pass, but there's a vision. Today we say something like, there's an app for that. There's a vision concerning that. What a thing to say at the beginning of trying to do God a service without being the will of God. And so he begins to teach this great sermon. And he's talking about King David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, back into the city. And when he describes David, he's, he takes him, he kind of pulls him out of the Old Testament and puts him as if he's uh, someone on a, in, in modern day 1965 trying to reboot a healing campaign. He says, if I've talked to all my chief guys. They say it's a go. Um, maybe the Christian businessmen will finally come through with their pledge to, uh, to put up the funds for this tent 
He didn't. He doesn't mention the tent. I'm just thinking out loud here. <laughs> they, they didn't say that they, <clears throat> that they would do it. If he raised a certain amount of money in a meeting, and he did it, but they didn't get him a tent, right? And so, but King David, he's already talked to the to the leaders and the churches in the city, and they say, "Yeah, we need a revival here." And King David says, I, "I'm the man to bring the revival to this city." And Brother Branham says, "But he didn't." He didn't consult the prophet. He didn't consult Nathan. And you know how Nathan, and here Brother Bram is identifying a little bit of himself as Nathan. They didn't consult the word for their day. And you know how Nathan had this way of telling a story and making it seem that he was talking about something else when he's really talking about you. Make it seem like that he's talking about some a rich fellow who took another man's lamb when he was really talking about the king. And um, <clears throat> while he's preaching this, David said, let's go back to God, all of us. Let's get back to the right thing. Let's go down and get the ark and bring it here. Bring it into the presence of God. In other words, into the city. Let's hold a revival. Let's bring the people back. But he got the revelation, which seemed to be good, but it wasn't the will of God. Let's go forward. Now his intention was good, his motive was good, his objective was good to bring a revival into the city, to bring the people back to God, but he never consulted the way God told him to do it. See, even all the people agreed, and the priests, that the king was right. They needed the ark back in the city now. They needed the presence of God. They needed revival. And I wonder if at this point in that sermon, He didn't think of himself as Nathan, but as Nathan and David. When he preached this same sermon four months later, it's most of the same in a different city to a different audience. There's a little, something that's a little bit different, and I'll highlight it for you here. <clears throat> he said, God told a Nathan to tell David, do this all that's in your heart. This is four months later. And this, this isn't in the first sermon, doing God a service without his will. In the first one, Nathan tells David, you're not the man to do it. But in this sermon, it's a little bit different. And it more closely reflects the, the biblical story. He, Nathan says, David, do all that's in your heart, for God is with you. You're an anointed vessel of God. He gives David the go-ahead to build that temple. Nathan does. But that being a prophet and his mistake and God's duty bound to his prophet, that night he appeared to him and said, go tell my servant David, I admire his courage. I love him for this because he's a man after my own heart. And I know it's time that my ark would be that way, put under something, but I, it ain't the season for that to happen. It, it ain't the season for that to happen. I'm taking some liberty here, but I'm imagining, let's back it up four years. Brother Branham with a broken heart, realizing that that tent vision 
it's not going to be fulfilled the way he's thinking it. But it's going to be fulfilled. And, how, and why do I think this? I'm going, to, I'm going to show you why. This is July 18th, the next Sunday. <clears throat> the 25th in the morning. He says something completely different. Notice the very day when this messenger, not, not when he starts on, but when he begins to declare his message. See? The first pull, healing. The second pull, prophesying. The third pull, Now, he's not going to try to explain it. He's not going to tell everybody, I got it figured out. Now, come here, I'm going to teach you how to do it. Now he's settled. He's, there's no anxiousness in his tone as he's going over this. He's at peace when he delivers this. The third pull, the opening of the word, the mysteries revealed. No more, there's no more higher order to reveal the word than prophets. But the only way a prophet can be vindicated is by the word. Remember that story that came into his hand? And it said, this is the third pull. And remember, the third pull was the opening of them seven seals. Now he realizes it. Now he accepts it. He's no longer looking for a tent from this point onward. He's no longer asking his trustees for a tent. From this point onward, he's no longer saying that third pool could be here. It could be coming. It could be next Sunday. It could be a healing service. This is, this is, this is, his, this is his peace. The third pool was the opening of them seven seals. That was the critical moment of his ministry to reveal the hidden truth that's been sealed in the word. Do you see it? That evening, he preached, what is the attraction on the mountain? So I've got my mind set on this message. That's the third pull. So simple. So clear to him. And it's the one I must be loyal and reverent to. Not some actual tent. So what was it? What was the tent? He's at peace now. He knows there's not going to be an actual tent or auditorium. No actual little wooden building. Look through his sermons from 1963 on. His focus is off the healing campaigns. His focus is on the bride. From this point on, when he says, a body has prepared for me. He no longer says, he no longer stops at that body was Jesus Christ for God to dwell in on earth. He moves, takes it one step further. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He's talking about that same pillar of fire that was on the platform. It hovered over that little room. And you know what? You are the little, you are the little room. That pillar of fire stood over it, just like it did in the upper room, and it settled right into that little room. And the voice said, this is the third pool. Yeah. This is the focus of your ministry. 
This is why you are here, to prepare a bride for a rapture. Amen? Do you feel special? God loved us so much that he baffled the greatest prophet ever to walk this earth. Didn't, didn't tell him what that third pull was. Didn't let him in on the meaning of the vision until the very end of his life. In order that he wouldn't somehow mess it up, trying to explain it, this and that, as he laid out those messages on up until his death. For reasons God only knows, he didn't reveal what the third pull was to Brother Branham <clears throat> until late 1965. And he realized it's the message. It's the mysteries of God revealed. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have the perspective of hindsight. Thank you for this body of messages that we can dig into and, and read and just soak in these words. We don't need three, four, five weeks in a tent swatting flies and listening to kids and trying to you know, hear a man teach. What we have is something that's so much greater. Your word before us all the time. Every, any, any moment of the day, we can open your Bible and read your word. We can listen to a tape, to a message. It's there before us to teach us and to guide us. This is a time like has never been on the earth before. And during this time, Lord, when churches are closing, the mainline denominations are dying away, we know that you're preparing a people. Our churches, our believers are strong. And they're flourishing and they're growing spiritually. They're growing, they're eating the food that's been provided in due season. And I pray that you'll just continue to bless each and every one of us. Help us to understand your mighty plan as we saw it unfold from 1956 to 1965 to equip us with what we need for this day. We thank you for it, and we stand in awe of it. In Christ's name, amen. Musicians, you can come back. Let's stand. And I don't really have a voice, but um, let's um, maybe strum me the key of F there, Brother Cockman. See, can't you see why I'm happy? I've accepted the word of the Lord. The revealed that was Can't you
He's got it all in control. Well, He's got it all in control. He's got it all in control. Because that reassurance way down in my soul. And He's got it all in control. One more time. Yes, He's got it all in control. Yes, He's got it all in control. He puts that reassurance way down. Aren't you glad you're not in control? Well, wouldn't we mess it up? <laughs> Amen. Sometimes God has to move us aside a little bit. Sometimes he has to put the blinders on us a little bit to get us through this area. Not, not all the times for ourselves, but for someone else. When we adopted Morgan, our oldest daughter, I told Jennifer, I said, this is the first time in my life when I didn't feel like it was about me. I felt myself moved and turned around and put in situations that were only for this young child. Amen. Brother Branham, I'm sure, felt the same way. He thought he knew what direction he was supposed to have been going in. But God had other ideas to bring about the perfection of his bride. He had you in mind. And because of that, he took that prophet by the shoulders and he turned him this way and he turned him this way. And he led them here and he led them there. And he brought it about just the way it was supposed to happen in the due time and the way it should have gone. Amen. We're going to dismiss, but um, as we do, let's just sing, Hold to God's Unchanging Hand. Well, hold to God's unchanging hand. Oh, 